Welcome back to Library Media Chatter, the podcast that will finally answer the question, what books did Greg buy in the 500s this semester? <laughs> Stay tuned for the answer. I'm Dan Wright, Library Media Specialist at Oakville and Melville High Schools, and with me as always... I'm Dr. Greg Baum. I don't know why I said doctor. You usually say it. I know. I love it. Yeah. Greg Baum, library media specialist at one of the library media specialists at Rockwood Summit. Yeah. Let the world know you are a doctor. Yeah. It's not the kind that helps people. Don't specify. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Don't. That's not important. That's not. You a... are a doctor. Yeah. If only I could write my own prescriptions. It'd be a better world. <laughs> yeah. You're prescribing great literature uh-huh yeah helps I've, people get through all kinds of issues Greg. i have got some prescriptions for some parents in our community yes. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i believe you're having meetings about those uh-huh. uh-huh. they're not wanting to take their medicine they know they are not <laughs> <laughs> all right let's jump right into it greg before we get ourselves in trouble with this line of discussion mm-hmm. what are you reading okay i am reading all of us villains by amanda foodie and Christine Lynn Herman. If you haven't seen this title um, or the cover, which is a pretty striking um, cover that's mostly black with some real vivid like scarlet design on it, um, then I think you will soon. It's I think it's getting a lot of traction as kind of the next, one of the next possibly big YA titles. It is like a combination of a uh, Harry Potter and a Hunger Games. So uh, you have to start off any explanation of these YA fantasy novels with, for some reason, (laughs) for some reason, there is a, the only source of this powerful magic left is this small town. And for some reason, (laughs) these eight families, like every so often have to battle for control of that magic. So that's the hunger games element. And of course they're all children fighting for it again, for some reason. Yes. Um, So you can probably tell from my, for some reason that (laughs) I don't find this, the premise uh, or the execution particularly compelling, but I do think it is a book that a lot of YA readers will like Um, in our library. We have a huge, um, like fantasy section that's where our most devoted readers are either fantasy sci-fi realistic those are our kind of sure. anyway and so i imagine that this will get a lot of attention and um a lot of <clears throat> or a substantial readership i think as well so specifically uh, high school or are we gonna have a lot of seventh and eighth graders coming and going i already read all that what uh, else good question i don't know uh i have a real Middle school is a real nebulous time I, for me. I don't really know. I mean, I think when I think about kind of the gritty nature of this, okay, um, I think it was less likely that a okay. lot of high or middle schools were. I mean, so a little and, more Hunger Games on that end. Yeah, or like it is. It is like Harry Potter. You have like an eleven-year-old yes. in the beginning. Yeah. And as the title suggests, I mean, I did not find any of the characters particularly likable, um, and so for for. I know that there's a readership that doesn't mind that and that even enjoys that. I, that's not me. Um, but uh, so, yeah, they're all kind of, it's, it's much darker than a Harry Potter and yeah, e- maybe even more like the later books in that hunger game series where it gets real dark and you're like, okay. wow, yeah. you just kept going. You know? Well, I want to let you know that yeah. you have completely sold me on trying to avoid this book 
for yeah. as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah do it. You do hit it. me with, yeah, unlikable characters, um, darker portion of the Hunger yeah. Games spectrum. And a lot of for some reason. <laughs> and a lot of for some reason, sure. Yeah, yeah. so what about you? What are you reading? Um, so I recently read a book called X-Men Grand Design by Ed Pisker. Um right. It is uh, shockingly from the title. If you're uh, not aware of these figures, the X-Men are comic book heroes. <laughs> so you read about villains. I focused on heroes. And thank you for explaining that. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so this was a, you could call it graphic novel. You could call it collection of comics. Okay. Um, what I really liked about it and the reason that I wanted to highlight it here is that I think it would be a really good purchase for libraries where you have readers that are interested in superhero stories and whatever mm -hmm. because the basic premise is that it covers basically the beginning of the x-men up to not exactly right now because depending on the who's writing it and all the kind of ins and outs of everything that's happened uh it, it doesn't cover literally everything mm -hmm. but it gives you a huge amount of backstory and origin stuff and kind of who's who and what's what and why mm -hmm. in a I think the book was maybe 150 pages or less okay so we have at Melville uh, whoever was there before me and I don't know how far back this would have gone but somebody was buying a lot of trade paperbacks oh okay so we've got runs of like this avengers or like these six trade paperbacks in a series of spider-man yeah we don't have all of them but we have some of them and they kind of hit yeah. and miss and over time some go missing and never yeah. come back and whatever uh and that can be really hard to keep up with yeah to try to continually buy what are the right things to get if you have kids that are really into it or that want to get into it so this kind of book uh, I thought was kind of perfect because it would be that jumping off point for a lot mm -hmm. of kids if they were like, oh, I, I like the X-Men as an idea or they're about to come into the MCU at some point. I wish I knew who any of these people were or where these origins are. So it was a nice kind of a starting place. You could buy one book <laughs> for your library instead of 150 of them to try to yeah. keep people up to date yeah. on what's going on. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, it's... Uh, I was looking for something else kind of out there that I could recommend instead of, I feel like I've kind of hit similar things. Uh, I'm going to, I think that would be a good one for our library. We're really trying to build our um, graphic novel collection because we, it's not an area that has received a lot of attention in um, our library. And I just think that readership is going to continue to grow. I mean, yeah. it seems like it. And so that's, I feel like I need to do a better job. We have a pretty substantial one, uh, especially manga which I don't read and I don't have any connection to. Sandy does all the work on that. Mm -hmm. um, not that she loves manga. She's going to sit there going, I no, don't tell people that that's what I'm into. <laughs> um, but she's kind of followed up with what was already there and built that out. I haven't really touched a lot of the superhero stuff because it's there and I don't know what kids might be interested in, but I feel like that's an area, like you said, that people aren't going to stop being into comic book heroes all of a sudden. Right. So I might as well... Uh, kind of dig in with that a little bit more yeah yeah so yeah two books uh hopefully you want to run out and get and if you don't because we sold them poorly well too bad for you <laughs> because your kids are going to ask for them yes uh, uh, and with that we're going to take a quick commercial break we'll be right back 
This episode is brought to you by the Dewey Decimal number 641, which means it's time for every April Fool's favorite game, Do We Know Our Dewey? I'm going to name books with call numbers that start 641, and Greg is going to guess what that section is all about. Greg, are you ready? I am. All right. I, good luck is all I can say for this one. <laughs> Dewey, Dewey threw down the really, gauntlet. Yeah. yeah, they they were worried uh, that maybe things were getting too getting a little too so, good. Yeah, yeah they, were, they wanted to kind of kick it up a notch. Highlights from this Dewey number include the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook from lamb stew to gruesling. More than 150 recipes inspired by the Hunger Games trilogy by Emily and Sarah Baines. You're right. I read that entire title, including every bit of the subtitle. Yeah, and I just, Very I mean, does she... Has she questioned her decisions, that author? I just wonder I, sometimes. I don't yeah. know. Have you ever had Grusling? <laughs> no. Oh, I, or I, neither have I had lamb stew. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Top Chef, The Cookbook by yeah. Brett Martin. Okay. 1,000 Vegan Recipes by Robin Robertson. Ooh. And Teens Cook Dessert by Megan and Jill Carl with Judy Carl. Wow. That was quite the collaboration. Greg, what what if you found out that none of those people were related? Yeah, that would be fantastic. That's the real surprise in all of it. And Judy's the real star power, I assume. Well, that's why they brought her in. Yeah, she got the call out at the end. Greg, what's the theme of this section? It had better be cookbooks, or I am just going to be so disappointed in myself. You, you absolutely nailed it. Yes. I'm very proud of you today. Yes. As that was a tough Dewey. one. Dewey. Yes. Thank you, Dewey. <laughs> Do you have a lot of cookbooks in your library? We have, we actually have a pretty good section of cookbooks, and there's some pretty good newer ones. Um, it, it does not get a lot of attention, though, unfortunately. Yeah. What about you guys? I feel the same, that we've got um, a good, I tried to pull names of kind of a variety of types of things that we have. Yeah. Um, because I think it's really great that we have stuff on vegan cooking or gluten-free cooking or cooking with M&Ms or Coca-Cola or uh. like famous author, like chef authors, like we have Bobby Flay and, and whoever else, top chef kind of stuff. Um, it does not get a ton of attention. Mm-hmm. But we have had uh, a number of people over the time kind of go, oh, I didn't even know that these were here. And they'd kind of dig through and see yeah. uh, what's what. So I think it's one of those that falls under the, this is a really good thing to have. Yeah. And you you keep it well stocked, not because it's constantly flying off the shelf, but because for those people that need them or, or are interested, mm-hmm. you why would I get rid of the vegan cookbook thing? Because at some point yeah. you're gonna have a kid that decides you, he or she wants to be vegan. And uh, cook and all then, thousand recipes. And they're going to do all thousand. Yeah. In the three weeks that they have it checked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they didn't realize that you could renew, renew your it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So thank you, Dewey, as always, for sponsoring our episodes. Welcome back to Library Media Chatter. You've tuned back in just in time for our hottest segment of this episode. What are you doing? Greg, what are you doing? Well, we are recording this at the end of February. And so I am finishing up with my co-librarian, Margaret Sullivan, our application for the 
Missouri Exemplary Library Program through the through Desi, and it is a beast. Yep. Well, you're looking to go back to back, Greg. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it, we were we worked very hard last year, and we were happy to be one of um, seven libraries in the state to get that recognition, and that was awesome. And we are trying to, um, as you said, go back to back to borrow your words. It's a repeat. <laughs> yes. And it is still a lot of work um, for anyone out there who is considering this application. Um, I will just say it, you really have to start in like August or September, um, at least in the sense that you're planning and being strategic about how you use your time and the types of um, lessons and assessments and programming that you offer. So it's really a, it's a really a big commitment. Now, that being said, it also has been good for us in the, the sense that it has kind of pushed us to uh, reach out to, you know, curricula that we don't normally serve or that we haven't served as much and to just try new things and to be kind of more thoughtful about some of the things that we do. So it, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, there are 21 indicators. You can score a maximum of two points in each indicator. And if you, I think you have to get a 38 out of 42 to get the distinction and any zero is an automatic um, failure. That's not the word, but yeah, I am. No, really, that's yes. Yeah, that is the word. Yes. You are non-exemplary. Yeah, you are not. Well, and I, so, I mean, I know there were some hard feelings after the first year of this program because people were unhappy that some of the indicators are assessing them on things that are outside of their control, right? Some yes. of the indicators assess people are about staffing. They're about budget. They're about scheduling. And I get it. I mean, I, and I understand the frustration there. And I also understand that kind of the mentality creating this was that it was going to be um, kind of a piece of leverage with administration to be able to say, hey, you know, you're, you want our schools to have as many little banners <laughs> as, yeah. as we can get. Yeah. Here's one we can't get because you won't provide an assistant or you won't, sure. you know, up our library budget, you know, whether or not those kinds of things work, I have no idea. Yeah. You're just happy to win the award. Yeah. You well, it does play. come with a $10 million cash prize. So oh yeah. That was, that I had no idea. Yeah. That was really the incentive for me yeah. here. So I'll be retiring from this podcast and from libraries. No, I mean, I guess it is. I think it was, it is a hard application. It, it's, I have not done national boards. My co-librarian compares this to the national board process in the okay. sense that it is opaque and rigorous yeah. and maddening <laughs> and you're submitting everything into the hands of people you don't know and who might have had a bad lunch and therefore mark off a point. You know what I mean? Like sure. you just, it's such a wild and bureaucratic process, Yeah, but um I do think I can see how it's helped us to do it in, in the sense of kind of what it has pushed us to do. So, and people have said that about national boards. I remember working yeah. with teachers that were going through that process yeah. and they're like, no, it really was more than just paperwork. Yeah. I, I did. It got me to do some things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I remember being at a meeting and and hearing about that and reading through the material for yeah. it the first time it came out, and I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. Like this, it, we don't we don't meet of, some of these requirements, yeah. and so yeah. you're just immediately saying no yeah. thanks. I know, um, which stinks, but it's also yeah. uh, it's it's if it eventually works the way that they're hoping, right? In right. place of some of those uh, required things for library that are no longer required by the state. Right. Uh, then that would be phenomenal. But until then, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of people going, oh, OK. Yeah. So it just it's this maybe there's only 15 or 20 schools uh, in the state that match this currently. Right. And seven of them filled it out well enough to to win the thing. And one of them is going to be repeat champions. Yeah. Uh, do, does the money the, double or. Yeah, do you just I think. Keep, yeah, I think it's like we gave you the 10. You're done. Right. No, no, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. I think they did uh, up the pot this year. So very exciting. Yeah. Well, and then just to, I'll say this is my last thing, and then I'll ask you what you're doing. But um, you know, our elementary school libraries are in that same position in our district, where no matter what they did, it would be an automatic no because of the staff, the scheduling in particular. Sure. And I think the message was you should do the application anyway, and when you get the no, take that to your principal and say, Hey, here's all the hard work I did, Yeah, but I can't get this because of X. Yeah. And while I understand the logic of that, I, I also understand the librarians who hear that and say, are you crazy? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. and, and that's, I, I hope people do it and I hope it does become a leverage and a kind of an advocacy tool, but I can understand the frustration and the resistance to even to setting yourself up for failure, I guess. Well, and when you're talking about the amount of work that you're putting in. Oh, it's in, tremendous, yeah. To do that knowing I'm only doing this to hopefully rub it in somebody's face yeah. later that yeah. this is your fault, not my fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I and, and, I, and I get it. I mean, like, our options are limited. There's not a sure. whole lot, you know, that we can do. But And so I see, I guess I'm just trying to say I see both sides of it. But Do you think it would also help increase our leverage if uh, we increased late fines? Do you think that's another uh, thing we could just interesting? Make yes. Interesting. Do you think uh, that would show people that, that has, we're in charge? <laughs> that has become a hot topic yeah. around <laughs> my library. So maybe we can talk about that on another episode sure. because $14 a day. Yeah. I mean, that's it. what I'm proposing. Sign me up. Yeah. Because yes. then I can get to that 10 million on my own. <laughs> I will learn. I will, I will get there any way I can. All right, Dan, what are you doing? Well, what I'm not doing is retiring from this podcast Yeah. Uh, after rolling in the dough. And I want to point out that neither is Greg. <laughs> no. Uh, he signed a lifetime commitment to this. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of, it was almost like the Wonka contract. Uh, there's a lot of very fine yes. print that he's yeah. totally unaware of. <laughs> yes. he, so don't fear, listeners. <laughs> Greg will be here for a very oh, long time. Yes. Perfect. We will fly right through our middle age. Oh, gosh. There it is again. Um, yes. So I am currently working my way through the new Gateway and Dogwood nominees for okay. next school year. All right. Um, and what do you, what's the reaction? They feel like I, I've only read Gateway books so far. I'm four or five into the Gateways this year. Yeah. Um, most of what I've read, I tried to read new authors. Okay. Um, or, or ones that it had been maybe a couple years or that uh, I had been away from a little bit. And 
I'm thinking that maybe next year on the podcast, we will review Dogwoods mm -hmm. in the uh, segment that comes up after this one in the reader's nook, mm -hmm. which is not fully a judgment on what I've read because a <laughs> couple they've been good. One of them I liked quite a bit, but it's an author that I've already enjoyed and we're going to talk about her later today. So I'm going to uh, not spend a lot of time on that right now, but I'm kind of running into a couple of things. Um, which is not a judgment of the process or the books, but of the experience of people in our position who are maybe the only people reading these every year. Well, I do. Th I think there is a lot to that. Um, Where like you, you start to see similar, I mean, obviously similar themes come up. It's yeah. young adult literature, but like this book, this year, at least the ones that I've read, yeah. we're dealing with, very similar things kind of over and over again. Um, the books are well-written, the stories are well-told, but we've already had, we're 11 episodes in with including this one uh, of talking about these books and doing these things. And I feel like a lot of our episodes, we talk about the book and say it was good and then mm -hmm. go, I mean, I'm not the audience for it. And, and not yeah. in a, of course we're not, we're not teenagers. Right. But the subject matter and the kind of the things that are thought of as heavy enough mm -hmm. and important enough um, are things that are not in my wheelhouse in a way that I feel totally equipped to uh, sell somebody on as a book. I could give you the synopsis and say, <clears throat> there are people out here for it, but you could find that synopsis elsewhere. Yeah. So I think maybe next year or when, whenever it is that we switch over to talking about next year's nominees in the nook, uh, that's right. I just shortened it to the no. Oh, no. Um, you're welcome. Yeah. That maybe will kind of champion some of those nonfiction books that might be different than what we've had and talking about history instead of fictional kind of what's going on right now. Yeah. That feels like um, we're having kind of redundant conversations sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I. I guess two thoughts about that. One is I understand that award committees are always in a pinch when they have to, of necessity, by their nature, choose a set of books, even if there aren't any particularly sure. outstanding books that year. Um, that being said, though, um, I mean, I think one of the realities of publishing is that most YA fiction is read by not young adults. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that these are books that are written for people who want a book, a book club style book yes. written about teenagers. Yes. And that is what a lot of YA, especially YA realistic is. And I just yeah. don't believe, and I understand that this probably puts me in the minority, but I just don't believe that those are the books that most of our kids want to read. I, it's an interesting it's an interesting place to be in, right? As that, yeah. as you said, like with that committee that I wonder, and I'm not on it. I, like, yeah, I'm, and neither am I. And yeah. I'm not trying to criticize the no, committee. No, no, I'm no. just trying to speak to what but I see. I, I wonder if it's similar to, in some ways when we're making purchasing decisions, right? that sometimes I'm looking to purchase books, not because I think that this will necessarily be a book that 180 kids in my building are going to run down to check out. Cause I don't know what that is. I've, right. I've, I've right. established my bona fides as a non teenager. Right. Um, 
but I'm looking for books that maybe speak to an audience that has been underserved or may right. speak to a smaller right. audience, um, whether they've been underserved in the past or not. But like, I know a, a niche audience that this would speak to. Right. And so I'm maybe more likely to want to buy that and champion that book because it could speak to a lot more people if they were willing to read it mm-hmm. as opposed to going, and this is going back years and years. So I'm not judging anything that's, that's recent, but I remember after twilight came out and all of my kids wanted to read twilight. Yeah. And this is the thing you could go to any bookstore and you would see black covers with white and red accents. And oh yeah. Clearly yeah. vampire or, and like the, the, you think whatever you think about the Twilight books, those covers are not like, you don't look at the cover and go, oh, there's a vampire book. Right. So you would see the same kind of style, yeah. but very clearly communicating vampire or right. werewolf or whatever. Right. And that's the book that maybe if we would have bought a bunch of those, the Twilight people just immediately go, yes, more of this. Right. But I don't want to do more of that. Twilight was Twilight. That way to go, Twilight let's find another thing that can mm-hmm. catch an audience in a different way. Um, almost like what you were talking about with your, uh, what are you reading mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, this is a, a very clear, like people like hunger games, people like Harry Potter, yeah. let's mash them together and yeah. see what happens. And hopefully kids want to read it and it brings them to other books. Yeah. But I think a lot of the times we find ourselves because we are the people the as the librarians in schools that are the ones reading these books, not, for one year or three years, but right. 10 years, right. we are continuing to read these. So looking for, okay, right now, this is the one. Mm-hmm. And then in a few years, we'll find a different trend or a different thing to try to champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, again, these books have not been bad, but I think our conversations will be less interesting next year uh, if we only do gateways as yeah. we've done so far. So maybe we mix dogwoods and gateways in the future um, or we abandon gateways next year, unless there's just one that you go, holy moly, Dan, we've got to talk about this one because well, I've got my finger on the pulse of teen <laughs> culture. And this is going to speak to the teens. That brings me to my, well, one side point And then my other major point, mm-hmm. my side point is, you know, I, and I, I guess I do feel like the approach of trying to, develop a collection widely instead of trying to predict a trend is the right way to go because nobody can predict a trend which is why publishers (laughs) print hundreds of thousands of books that no one buys or reads yes so i mean i like all the best that we can do is try to you know build a diverse collection and then respond when there is a trend you know like kind of we can't anticipate it we can't try to buy to predict it or to create it we just try to respond to it yeah my other point and this is the serious one when will we get justice for Jennifer Lynn Barnes? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why has she not had enough representation on the gateway lists? Why has she not won every time she's been featured? Justice. We need justice. She, I have not gotten to her book yet. <laughs> um, the, for those just joining us on episode 11. Yes. Jennifer Lynn Barnes is Dan's favorite YA author. He loves a twisty mystery about a sassy protagonist who learns a deep family secret at the very end of the book and and from what i've read typically in the south 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fair. That these are these are which southern. is strange because I think she. Well, does she live in Oklahoma? Maybe I can't remember. I don't know. I've well, not, I've episode not, twelve. <laughs> we'll solve that mystery. Yeah, uh, we're solving the five hundreds mystery. That's yeah, another that was hint. A big. Yeah. Stick around, audience. Stick around. But justice for Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Feel sure. free to tweet that hashtag. It. You know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I've got nothing that's going to top that. So let's move right into the reader's <laughs> nook to talk about someone who is one of my favorite YA authors. Uh-huh. I can't escape. Every time <laughs> I read one of her books, I'm like, this is going to be the one that maybe I'm not a fan of. And it's not that I'm like, wow, I will only read these books. But everything that she's done, mm-hmm. I am not the audience for. Mm-hmm. I do not connect to any of these mm-hmm. characters. I have nothing in common with them. Mm-hmm. And I go, man, she writes a good book. Like it just yeah. hits me in the right way and I'm in every time. Uh, so this reader's nook, we're going to talk about with the fire on high by Elizabeth Acevedo, uh, who is very much in the Jennifer Lynn Barnes kind of gateway favorites she is, uh, yeah. category. She Although, has the poet X, yeah, right. she has this one. And then next year, wow. the favorite one that I've read already mm-hmm. uh, of the four that I've read was clap when you land. Mm-hmm. She writes good stuff. So I'm yeah. I'm not going to be overly judgy of this book because I, uh, again, I don't have a lot in common, but I do appreciate uh, what she does. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, so the summary, kind of basic summary of the book, uh, the book focuses on teen mother, Imani Santiago, uh, who is struggling with the challenges of finishing high school and her dream of working as a chef and this publisher's summary leaves out the fact that she's also raising a daughter while living with her grandmother. She's a teenager. She cooks extraordinarily well, almost described as like magically mm-hmm. uh, in the world of her cooking. But she's dealing with these other issues. She has um, her, a child. They don't have a lot of money trying to kind of help support her grandma She wants to date this new boy, but doesn't really want to date because Mm -hmm. she feels like maybe that's not the best thing to use for her time and all of the things that you might imagine. And a very responsible kid, I will Mm -hmm. say. She is not the like precocious, I'll go out and solve this mystery all by myself. She's trying to be um, a good uh, student and a good parent and somebody who's looking forward to her future. Mm-hmm. And while she doesn't really have a strong relationship with the child's father, uh, she keeps that kind of thing in mind that that relationship is an important one. Yeah. Um, there, Acevedo does not do a lot of like, yeah, but what if we have the two fighting all the time? Right. What if we constantly make right. this extra drama? They are trying their best whatever that means like they nobody wants to be uh, a terrible person and nobody's trying to be terrible to anybody else and it's it's just an interesting look at a teen who has her very own kind of like personal situation that i i don't have any experience with Mm -hmm. and i i I can make very few dishes that people want to eat. So the chefing side of things, I don't have a lot going. Oh my gosh. But looking at that and going, okay, this is a person that's dealing with real issues in what I imagine to be a real way and not a reality TV way. Mm -hmm. And it was just well executed. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Um, I like, again, I'm in the bag for her writing. Yeah. But I just, I feel like it was not 
Jersey Shore or the real world or yeah. Big Brother. Like, it's just here's yeah. here's teens trying to do things. And they're realistic teens in the sense that they they don't I don't know. They're, they're not like out of pocket all the time. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I, I would agree with I think all of that. I mean, I think that, you know, she is one of the better writers who continues to make the list. You know, she really is talented and like just at the level of her prose. And then as you talked about, her characters are, um, I think, much more well-rounded and authentic than a lot of what I read in YA. Um, and your description of this is, I think, accurate. It's not an overly dramatic, you know, version of this story. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like the Poet X. I like this one. I, I don't know that uh it needed to be 389 pages i just looked it up it did i I, a couple times i was kind of like okay i'm ready to move on but that's mostly because i was reading it to read it as part of my job not you know like i mean it's a it's a good book i i do think that this is probably like the best version of when we talk about you know like for example in my school we have a very small uh population of black students you know, and I think this is kind of the best kind of literary representation of, I mean, I think th- this is Afro-Caribbean, but of, you know, like yeah. an urban blackness and with its complexities, we're in contrast to a lot of those like books that are eight pages long and like, yeah. you know, the Blueford books or whatever, which yeah. I understand that those have their place. I'm just saying like, that's kind of when I think of the audience for this in my school, that's who I think kind of would connect with it most. Well, and, and realistic fiction that is actually realistic. Right. And it's not everybody is being in a lot of books that would be set. Similarly, people are being shot or people are being uh, harassed by drug dealers or people right. are, like all of those kind of stereotypes end up right. falling in there because right. you believe that that's what the audience for it wants. Right. Um, I thought this book was not really talking down to. No, I agree. Potential audience. I agree with you. Sandy and I were actually talking about this the other day. And it was in relation to this year's gateways that I just started reading that I've enjoyed them. And I would have enjoyed them significantly more if they were 100 pages shorter. Yeah. That I I don't know why we feel the same things happening in film. Right. Every movie that comes out now has to be two two and and a half half hours hours long. Yeah. I don't know what happened to like a 90 minute movie or like make it a solid uh, under two hours and I'm fine. But you feel like, well, you're paying this money, so we might as well give you the most of it. And right. I don't need the most of it. I I would have been good. If you um, don't need a bathroom break in the middle of it. Yeah. I yes. mean, which is why I watch everything at home, you did which not is for a different podcast. Take a page out of Christopher Columbus's book, Chris Columbus's book, Home yeah. Alone One. Yeah. Perfect yeah, length. Cool 90 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I feel that way about a lot of this stuff. I think that was a good point. I enjoyed this book immensely for the type of book that it yes. is and kind of yeah. what we do everything could use some editing uh, yeah th- it's not really a criticism I no, just but it's, like, it's it's a trend that yeah uh, i'd be happy to see maybe go the other direction a little bit like yeah. just because a couple of the harry potter books were 700 pages right doesn't mean that that's the direction we should go right the hunger games books were like 250 pages and then right. a little bit longer and a little bit longer like right 
keeping it 300 and under yeah i think you're going to end up getting rid of some of those scenes that feel uh either unnecessary or redundant or both right um and just kind of focus on making a really lean quality book and i think to your point earlier that it's not teenagers that are doing the reading yeah when the to figure out what should be published i think if you ask most of the people who like these types of books they're not going man i wish i just had another 80 pages of what she was gonna do (laughs) like they get it and okay let's go let's let's finish so i can read they want to read this author's next book yeah not more of this one particular book yeah like you said it's it's a trend i imagine that you know at some point we'll see it kind of go the other way but I hope maybe so. not anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, for the for the sake of the readers, I think it'd be right. a, a better decision to go with. Because unless right. you're deep fantasy, you don't have those kids that are like, yes, I need a 700. Like they don't yeah. hang their head on a 600 page realistic fiction right. or romance. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this book quite a bit. It sounds like you did too. Um, if any of you out there listening have any thoughts on this book or anything else we've discussed so far this episode, feel free to send us an email to librarymediachatter at gmail.com. We will be right back. This episode of Library Media Chatter is brought to you by Momo, the Missouri monster. <laughs> Described as a Bigfoot-like humanoid with a pumpkin-shaped head and glowing orange eyes, This cryptid had a movie made about it in 2019 and a ride at Six Flags St. Louis named after it that ran until 1994. I did not know that. Momo. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. If you don't know why this is here, you should have listened to last month's episode. Oh, man. (laughs) Welcome back to Library Media Chatter. You're just in time for our final segment And this is something I know a lot of you have been waiting for for a long time. So we wanted to make sure that we got it to you now. It should have been here last episode and we both just completely forgot. Yeah. uh, And we needed to fill you in. Well, the emails have been pouring in. Yes. I mean, people just cannot wait. Yes. It was now. So the the new hashtag is hashtag justice for Jennifer Lynn Barnes. (laughs) Justice for JLB. Yeah. uh, If we want to shorten it. Yeah. The previous hashtag was uh, hashtag greg 500s question mark. <laughs> so let's answer this question greg what yeah. have you recently purchased in the 500s listen i am very proud of these purchases i purchased one two three four five six seven eight books in the 500s and you are now going to hear all eight titles i'm, um, I'm on the edge of my seat pluses and minuses how math solves our problems the end of everything astrophysically speaking Cosmic Queries, Star Talk's Guide to Who We Are. Yeah. I, I assume everybody, I'm just going to pause one second. If those yeah. of you that did not get out your notebook and pen, or oh, you yeah. didn't jump onto Tidal Wave yeah. or Mackin or wherever you buy things from, yeah. uh, pause right here. Yeah. Jump in. You can go back 30 seconds and hear the other books. We're not going to repeat, but have those no. pens and pencils out. You're going to need them. We can't repeat. We don't no. have time for that. No, we don't. Yeah. So... Uh, it's Elemental, The Hidden Chemistry and Everything. The Code Breaker, uh, Jennifer Dudna, Gene Editing and the Future of the Human Race. Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law. And side note, that's Mary Roach who did, um, oh, you'll know yeah. all the you know, I can't and yes. uh, Packing for Mars and the um, Gulp. Stiff, right? Stiff, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Ice Walker, A Polar Bear's Journey Through the Fragile Arctic. 
Is that from the perspective of the polar bear? Do you it know? It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. That one was a real gem. It's a, it's a memoir collection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, for faithful listeners will remember our psychic pet segment. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. This ties uh, right in. This is right up our alley. First steps, how upright walking made us human. That's all of them. If you did not write them down, it was your law. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ever get them back. Yeah. Don't, you are not allowed to rewind at this point. No. You'll have to re-listen to the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll take. It ups yeah. our numbers and then I'll get some of that 10 million that Greg's getting. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, yeah. 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 I, well, I really appreciate it. I've been waiting yeah. Yeah. Uh, less time than other people because we don't take as much time in between recording necessarily as it takes for us to put up episodes. Right. But it's been too long. So now I've got, uh, before I make my fall order for next year, uh, I've got some 500s I'm going to add there. Yeah. Which means yeah. I get to go weed other ones, which is one of my favorite activities. As a yeah. There's something very satisfying about weeding. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that'll be next episode. We'll spend a oh, whole yeah. uh, episode talking about that. That'll be great. Yeah. Or we'll forget. And it'll be three episodes from now. Either way, <laughs> we'll be here for Perfect. you. But until then, remember, read responsibly. Use a bookmark. <laughs>